Welcome back to the program. Few subjects get as much attention as education. In many ways, it's like the weather. We talk a lot about it, but sometimes it seems we do very little. Perhaps the most important thing we can do is focus on teachers, for they are at the heart of any educational success. They're not just a piece of the puzzle. Arguably, they're the largest piece. Some would say the whole puzzle. Yet how many of us, even the most active parents, really understand what it's like or what it means to be a teacher. We're going to talk about this today with one of our most distinguished teachers, Rafe Esquith. Rafe Esquith has taught at Hobart Elementary School in Los Angeles for the past 28 years. He's the only teacher to have been awarded the President's National Medal of the Arts. He's been made a member of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth. He's the recipient of numerous awards. And his newest book is Real Talk for Real Teachers. Advice for teachers from rookies to veterans, no retreat, no surrender. It is my pleasure to welcome Rafe Esquith back to this program. Rafe, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Delight to have you back. Do you think that most people, even parents that are involved with their kids, involved with their school, really have a clear understanding of what teachers go through day in and day out? I think they used to. Uh, I wrote Real Talk for Real Teachers. It Actually, the book wrote itself. I have thousands of teachers who write me all the time, and they say, Rafe, we, we want to make a difference, but we're just tired that the system is crushing us. I think it's gotten to the point where people have to understand that good teachers are an endangered species, and it's not because of the difficulty of teaching students. That's always been hard. It's not even the difficulties of, of working with kids in poverty. That's been there for years. But the system now is putting so many demands on teachers that they're basically bitterly saying those that can teach and those who can't make the rules for teachers. And that's why I've written Real Talk, to try and bolster the spirits of my colleagues. What is it about the system today? What has changed fundamentally to make it so much more difficult to create that additional pressure? Certainly we know about high-stakes testing, all the things that go along with that. But what else has changed in the landscape for teachers? The most important thing that's happened is that teachers join the profession often because they have passions and talents they want to share with the students. And this, the curriculum has become so scripted and so standardized where all fifth graders are going to do the same thing and all fourth graders are going to do the same thing that the individual teacher has disappeared from the landscape. They simply become like silent butlers in the service of their school board where they're simply passing on the dictates from an administration that has no clue of what's really going to help these children. In Real Talk for Real Teachers, I show how I quietly have not allowed myself to be removed from my classroom and keeping the education relevant so that the kids aren't just successful on the test at the end of the year, but they're learning skills that they're going to use 10 years from now because that's the real assessment of teaching. Where are the kids years after they've left your classroom? How much of this comes from the self-image that teachers have and the way the profession has seen itself over so many years? I think that's a very, very good question. And what I'm trying to tell teachers, I've given up on having society recognize our worth. I mean, like you said at the beginning of this thing, they talk about it, but they don't really walk the walk. I mean, we, we are in a society where the Kardashians are more important than people who cure cancer. So what I've done to make myself feel better as a teacher is, one, I get my spirit from my fellow teachers and, most importantly, from my former students. And one of the beauties of teaching for a long time and teaching well 
is that I have this army of former students who are back in my room all the time from high school and college helping me with the new students. And they provide a vision for the young ones of what they become, and they can provide spirit for me to know that the hard work is paying off. To what extent are you seeing new teachers still entering the profession, being idealistic, and how quickly is it turning them off? It's so quick. That's why you ask great questions. I have about a 1,000 young teachers visit me every year from all over the world. And you're exactly right. You know, they watch the Hollywood movie or they go to their meetings and they're told they're going to save everybody. And when they don't, when they have their bad days, because we all have them, they feel like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible teacher. You're not a terrible teacher. I'm reminding them in this book that even though I'm a good teacher, I still have bad days all the time. I still mess up all the time because it's a really hard job. I'm trying to teach the kids to be honorable in a world that often isn't, and that's difficult. So what I'm trying to tell young teachers is that when you have your bad days, it's okay. Everybody's got them. You reflect on them. You try to learn from your mistakes. And the beauty of teaching is that you can get better at it. The last section of my book called Masterclass shows that when you get good, teaching is a whole lot of fun. You get to reach a lot of kids that maybe you didn't reach 15 years earlier, and you really see the fruits of your labors. And I want to remind teachers that when you do that, teaching is supposed to be a lot of fun. People ask why I don't run my own school. It's because when I walk by my poor principal's office every day and I see his blood pressure medicine and his, <laughs> his Tylenol pills to, get, to cure his headaches, I would never leave the classroom because I laugh all day long. It's a, a really great job. But, of course, there needs to be an environment that will allow teachers to do that, to be, as the cliché goes, all that they can be. And some teaching environments simply don't allow that. They're too restrictive. I completely agree with you, but I do think that a teacher can control the environment in their own classroom. I've created a culture in my classroom that's so strong, people who enter it say they can actually physically feel the happiness in that room. And that's created by my hard work and also working with terrific colleagues. You know, we always tell the kids to hang out with the right kids. I tell teachers hang out with the right teachers because we all know there are bad ones in every school. We've had them. I'm the first to admit that. But I also work with some outstanding people. And by hanging out with them, we create a very positive environment even if the system does everything they can to prevent that. What's complicated about that, though, and it, it goes to the heart of who the bad ones are, because sometimes those bad ones were once good ones, and the system has simply sucked everything out of them. Yep. I think, I think one of the things that all good teachers have to realize, we have to change the system of weeding out bad teachers. There are bad teachers. I don't think they're the number one problem in education. Let's get this straight. I think poverty is the number one problem in our society right now. But surely in baseball, if you're not hitting anymore, you don't get put in the lineup. And I think the same thing should be true of teachers. How do we create that accountability in a system that is fair to both the public, to administrators, and to teachers? What I would like to see happen is much more classroom visitation. I would like a team of administrators and fellow teachers and parents walking into my room many times during the week unannounced. Because when you have these announced visits, you're getting a dog and pony show. You're not seeing the real action. 
But I can't remember the guy. I remember there was a Supreme Court justice who said, I don't know what pornography is, but I know it when I see it. Right. You walk into a classroom several times during a week, you're going to know who a good teacher is. You're going to see who's on their feet. You're going to see engaged kids trying hard, learning, and having fun. I would like to see personal on-site visits constantly to help evaluate teachers. What are we learning in charter schools and in situations where teachers can experiment more, do things that are different? Are we seeing positive results from that? And are we being effective enough in transferring some of those positive ideas into the mainstream? I think the problem for charter schools, and like all schools, there's good ones and bad ones. They have a built-in problem, and their problem is they are, by definition, going to a neighborhood and say, send us our children, we can do it better, which is great. But then the parents reasonably say, well, how do we know you're better? And immediately say, well, look at our test scores. That school has 75, we have 80, therefore we are better. And it's not that simple. But I think the fact that charter schools are trying to break away from the bureaucracy is a very healthy thing. You know, the argument is always given that when FedEx first uh, was, was put on the map, the, the United States Postal Service said it'll never work. And when it worked, now the United States Postal Service has overnight delivery, too. So I'm one of those public school teachers that is not majorly anti-charter school, but they should be held to the same strict standards that they're holding the regular public schools, and sometimes that's not happening. Beyond that, though, do we need things like charter schools to allow for more and greater experimentation, to try I think things it's fine. that are different? I have no problem with that at all, and I have no problem with giving parents all the choices they can have. Uh, you know, a lot of times you hear teachers say that they are afraid that the, the charter schools will drain everybody from the public school. I've never lost anybody from my class. You know, if you've got a good product, you're not going to lose anybody. And I don't mind that challenge from, from charter schools. Talk a little bit about the testing, the high-stakes testing that we're seeing today. And as you talk about in Real Talk for Real Teachers, the fundamental difference between test-taking and learning. Well, the, the funny thing is, as I always teach my students, my wife didn't fall in love with me because of my test scores. And yet we're telling children that these test scores are the be-all and end-all of their experience. And there's an important point I make in Real Talk. Even if you completely believe in standardized testing as the ultimate assessment, right now our standardized tests are not standardized. They are being administered by the teachers themselves. There's cheating scandals going on all over the world with standardized testing. So even the data we're looking at isn't accurate. So even if you believe in it, it's not working right now. I don't know any teacher that doesn't want to assess his students. I assess my students constantly. If I've taught them to multiply, of course I'm going to give them a multiplication test. But I also tell the children, what's going to happen if you don't do well? All that's going to happen is it means I know I have to show you again. That's all it means. And right now, the testing has become so intense we are giving so many assessments, it's taken valuable time away from actually teaching the children skills. They're spending so much time getting ready for a reading test, we have less time to actually read literature with the children and teach them the joy of reading. And that's why teachers are upset about the obsession with testing. Talk about the, the other side of that, which is curriculum, and, and how different, for example, the curriculum may be in your school in Los Angeles versus another school in Massachusetts or a school in, in Arkansas? 
Well, the funny thing is, I don't think it has to be, a, I don't think being different is a problem. Of course, we're going to have certain standards, but now with the core curriculum where they expect every child in the fifth grade to be learning in exactly the same way and exactly the same subjects, that's absurd. We are supposed to, in our country, celebrate diversity. What I think is in a great school, if students are learning certain skills from some teachers while learning other skills from other teachers, that's a good thing. We don't want the same thing on a menu all day long. So do I teach our curriculum? Of course I do. But I try to supplement it with things that I have passion for. I have a friend at school who's amazing at making quilts. So part of her day, the kids, after they do the curriculum, they're working on quilts. My class doesn't get to do that. But my class gets to play rock and roll music, and I teach them to play instruments because that's something I'm good at. So I don't want a completely standardized curriculum. I hope the teachers have the freedom to create some of their own special activities in the classroom. And hopefully Real Talk is going to free up some of these teachers to be brave enough and quietly rebel against the system that's oppressing them. Where does money and funding fit into the equation? How much of a problem is that? How does it relate to these other things we've been talking about? Well, I'll give you an example. My school this year just lost their orchestra. Imagine that. They lost the orchestra. So all the kids that used to have music lessons aren't going to have them. It's an enormous effect. And it, until we really address our issues of poverty, I know it's, it's popular to blame bad teachers, and there are bad teachers. It's popular to blame the unions, and our union has all kinds of problems. I'm the first to tell you that. But it, it, it's nothing compared to the effects of the fact that we don't have the funds to do the great things with kids we want to do. We say that we value education in this country, but I think it's just talk. I want our country to walk the walk. Why do you think there is, I mean, you've been looking at these issues for a long time, Rafe. Why do you think there is such a disconnect between these two things, between the fact that we say we value education so highly that in survey after survey after survey we see this, and yet we don't do what needs to be done, whether it's funding or some of these other things we've been talking about. Why the disconnect? I don't know. I know that as a society, I shake my heads at what we value. It blows my mind that the Kardashians are more famous than people that research cancer. I, I've never understood that. And I basically have kind of given up that our society is going to get to the place where I think we need to go. What I do know is that individual teachers and schools can have this conversation with their students and slowly try to change our culture so that one day the kids who grow up and really understand that school changed their lives, maybe they will be the new policymakers that make it real talk and not phony talk. What, how do you measure your own individual success? Well, first of all, it's not always success. I fail all the time. But I think the most important part of my success is that I'm at a school where only 32% of the kids finish high school and my students finish the top colleges in the country and constantly write to me and talk to me that this classroom shaped and changed who they are as people, where instead of just doing things for the teacher, they internalized a set of values I taught them that they have found useful that they use still all the time. You know, one of the awards that I won that I'm really proud of is called the Sondheim Award, and you win it when adults who are in their 20s contact the Kennedy Center and say that they're still using the skills they learned as children. 
I think that's a more accurate assessment of if I've had, you know, done a good job as a teacher. And that's one of the things that I think that we often forget about in all of this. We may see it in the movies or read about it in a book. But the idea that one teacher can make a difference, that if you ask so many people today, they can remember back to one teacher that really changed them in some fundamental way. But also, I want teachers, and I I really stress this in Real Talk, when there are teachers who think they haven't made a difference, I think maybe they have and they don't know it. Because many times, lessons that you thought fell on deaf ears are actually being used 10 and 15 years later, but the kid never writes that letter to you. Mm. So I want teachers to know that if they're going in every day and being positive and being good role models, that is the difference making, even if it doesn't show up on an assessment. I think we ask our kids to commit and to really care about education. It has to start with the teachers. If we're leaving in droves, we can't ask the children to make that commitment. What are the skill sets? What, what are the skills that make a great teacher? Well, I think, one, they've got to admit their mistakes, honesty. And the number one rule of teaching is I have to be the person I want the kids to be. Now, personally, I like nice people. I want my kids to be nice to each other. And I mean all the time, even when I'm not around. And that means I've got to be the nicest guy they ever met. I mean, even on days when I want to throw them out the window, I still have to be nice to them. I also want my kids to work hard because teaching is a hard job. So I have to set the example by working hard, by being there early, sometimes staying late, so that rather than lecture them about working hard, they see me working hard. I think that's absolutely step one. You've got to set the example. Talk a little bit about how other teachers, both in your school at Hobart and in your community, how they respond to the things you talk about and the depth and the breadth of your commitment to this. You know, it's all over the map. I have a number of colleagues who work with me very closely, and they're amazing teachers, just as good as I am. They just don't get their name in the paper. Uh, Even the Shakespeare production we do, I have tons of teachers helping me with that. There are teachers that use some of what I do, and then what's beautiful is some of them think, no, I, I really would like to do it a different way, and I think that's fine. And there are always a couple of very negative teachers who are bitter about the profession and who don't want to listen to what a good teacher has to tell them, and that's okay. You know, I have a chapter in the book called Haters because there's a wonderful teacher who once made the comment, when what you are reminds others what they are not, hostility results. (laughs) And I always joke that Socrates was the best teacher who ever lived, and they killed him. So one of my pieces of advice to teachers in this book is that in the same way we tell kids to hang out with the right kids, it's important for teachers to hang out with the right teachers and to stay positive, even on those bad days, especially on those bad days. What are you still learning as a teacher? Oh, gosh, so much. I think the hardest thing I'm learning over the last few years is when you're a teacher, you are most excited when you have that brilliant kid. But that I've learned over the years that it's great to be smart, but it's not as important as character. I would much rather you know, have a B student who's a really good guy for my neighbor one day than an A student, you know, the smartest guy in the room who's a real mean human being. And when I years ago, you know, talked to my wife about this, who's the real brains of my classroom, and, you know, she said, Rafe, it's more important than test scores. You've got to teach these kids character. When I said, well, that's harder, 
my wife said, well, then your job's harder. <laughs> I think that's what I've learned, that great grades are fantastic. We, we strive for them, but it's not as important as being good human beings. I think that's the lesson I'm still working on and the message I'm trying to get across to the kids. This comes back to the point that you made earlier. It's more difficult. It's harder because you're fighting against the culture in general and so much of, of society in terms of yep, its, its attitude and approach towards things. Look, I'm in Los Angeles where Kobe Bryant is a hero to many kids, and he's a phenomenal basketball player. But clearly, if you've seen the way he's lived his life, he's not a hero. Even his own teammates don't want to play with him. So this is a conversation I want to have with my students, and not all of them agree with me, and that's fine. But I think a good teacher at least stimulates the thinking by showing them that there are real heroes in our society that they've never even noticed. And maybe a good teacher can open their eyes and say, look at that person over there and what a great job he's doing. Look what amazing mom you have. You should take the pop star poster of your, of your favorite pop star down from your room and put your mom's picture up. She's much more heroic in taking care of you every day. This is the conversation I have with my students. How is teaching needed to change, to adapt to the changing society, the workplace, the skills that kids are going to need when they get out of school? Well, I think without question, one of the keys now is technology. But to show the students that technology is an incredible tool, but it's only a tool. Any parent out there will tell you that technology sometimes is taking over children's lives where you have kids coming home and sitting playing computer games for eight hours a night and they're gaining weight and they're losing sleep and their blood pressure is going up. So I think one of the skill sets that I've been working with my students, get out of your house, play baseball, and also a huge skill, and this is so important, I'm glad I get to say this on your show, kids are not sleeping enough. Kids are definitely more sleep deprived than I saw years ago. So I'm actually working with my kids, showing them the value of sleep and getting a good night's sleep so that you're fresh in the morning. This is something that needs to be discussed in more classrooms. The other thing you talk about is the importance of, of extracurricular activity, but even beyond that, things kids can learn outside of school and learning to be full-time learners, essentially. Yeah, we have an expression in my class that we're an all-the-time class. And I always joke with the students that if, if I told your mom we were going to go to a baseball game, but don't worry because I'm going to take care of you some of the time, your mom would never let you go. I have to take care of you all the time. So I try to explain to the kids that school might be over at 3 o'clock, but learning doesn't have to be over. I, rather than give you know 50 hours of mindless worksheets as homework, many of my students create their own homework. They're practicing a musical instrument, or they're working on their baseball game, or shooting some hoops after school, or reading books of their choice. And that's why my students are so successful. There's a chapter in my book called Keeping It Real, where my students actually understand that they are working for themselves. We've all had those homework assignments where the only reason we did them was we didn't want to get in trouble and we dashed it off at the kitchen table to make sure it was ready for tomorrow morning. But teachers can create a classroom where the kids actually assign themselves their own work. And that's why my students work so hard, that they understand that school is over, but learning is never over. We have an expression in my class, when are we done, I ask them, and the students always say back, never. That's a very important skill to teach children. 
can teachers that have been co-opted by the system that are sometimes bitter, as you talked about before, can they be brought back? Can they be turned around? I think they can be, and I think a very important part that we're missing in this country is teachers need to watch other teachers more. I'm invited to a lot of other countries to speak, and it's amazing. In all these other countries I've been to, the government spends a lot of time making sure that teachers can travel around and watch outstanding teachers sit in their classrooms for days at a time to learn the tricks of the trade. We don't do this in our country. Our professional development is normally going into a room and having a publishing company or a bureaucrat talk at you for an hour, and nobody gets anything out of that. So one way to bring them back, let's get the teachers talking together because I got all my best ideas from watching other great teachers. We need to have much more observation. And where in the world have you seen the most ideal systems? You know, I haven't seen it yet. That's why they all <laughs> call me these other countries. It's funny, you know, you think about countries like China, where I've been many times, and you think we're so different. They're dealing with the same problems that we're dealing with, exactly the same problems. So I haven't seen the idealized system yet. And that's why we have to go back to our classrooms every day to try and create it. Um, I do think that at the college level, nobody beats America. The opportunities we have for our students are amazing in this country. I just think we have to improve at getting our kids ready for that situation. Are you aware that if you took the entire freshman class of American college kids, these are our best kids. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who made it. They're in college. Less than half of them finish college. So clearly they're not ready. And hopefully in real talk, teachers are going to start to focus on getting the kids ready by teaching them real skills instead of just a regurgitation of facts. Rafe Esquith, his book is Real Talk for Real Teachers. Rafe, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Frank, thanks so much, man. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.